Thanks for listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Crown Peak and Elastic Path and hosted by me, James Gale and Paul Rogers. We bring you interviews with industry thought leaders, the C-suite of tech companies and leading retail brands, showcase e-com tech to help you decide what's relevant to your business and hopefully discover new solutions and new ideas. In return, all we ask is that you tell people about the podcast, get us out to as many people as you know about and share or like our posts on social media. And if you are new to the show, the best thing you can do is give us a rating wherever you're listening um, or watching. It really does help with our visibility. So let me set up our new episode. Um, for those of you who've been um, um, uh, following the podcast for a while, you'll recognize our guest. He's been on a few times before as one of the top rated episodes as well. So let's see if we can smash that one, say. But our topics are really interesting. <laughs> so we've known uh, Jim for, for quite a while. We've interviewed him when he was at Big Commerce before. He's general manager there. He's got a lot of knowledge around the overall e-com industry. And now a CEO of Patchworks is really well placed as it, with an integration specialist to understand where the demand for technology is coming, what integrations are people really pushing on, you know, what new tech's coming in, which platforms are critical, what are the, the repeat integrations that are happening. So we're doing an episode on the movers and shakers and e-com integration. You know, what tech's trending, which platforms are most demand. Let's get that wider view set on the market. Um, so Jim, a warm welcome. Welcome back to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much, James. Great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this because um, I've been really enjoying the posts um, that Patrick have been putting out in the last few months around like the, the release notes, updates, what the new integrations are. It's, it's exciting to see what tech's being connected. So um, before we start asking those questions, for those who, who haven't come across Patchworks for, do you want to just give a quick flavour for what, what it is and also what your role there is, what you're focused on? Yeah, certainly. Um, no, that's, um, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very pleased to do it. So Patchworks is um, what's been uh, now termed an integration platform as a service. I was looking at the, uh, the Gartner hype cycle for digital tech, and it's now on the plateau of productivity, I'm very pleased to say. Um, and, and the idea of, uh, of an iPads integration platform as a service is basically to make integration as easy as possible. So the kind of high-level view I've been pitching to um, people, um, uh, certainly kind of non-techies, people outside of our industry, when they ask what we do, is that we're technical glue, right? Um, and, and so it's all about taking, making it as easy as possible to take one system and integrate them with another one. So, you know, we mentioned before, and, you know, go back and listen to previous episodes, I'll, I'll moan on about what a nerd and techie I am. That's what I used to do for a living, right? You know, actually most of the work I did, because I was never a front-end programmer, was um, gluing systems together, and it was tens of thousands of lines of code and it would take, you know, X number of months or days to, to make that work and go through UAT. And then if you wanted to change the integration, you had to call me back and I would raise an invoice and would go again, if you know what I mean. iPads takes all that away. It makes it, uh, the idea of being basically a web-based interface that says, take my Shopify store, connect it through to my NetSuite store using uh, a kind of low-code, no-code environment uh, to make it as easy as possible and as quick as possible to go live. Um, and so... You know, we're we're one of many. There are a bunch out there, uh, and, and obviously, I've been concentrating the last few months to make ours the easiest to use as possible. Great. Um, and we'll come back on to that low code, no code movement in a second. Um, the first question: So James and I were talking for like one to two minutes before you joined this call about uh, the kind of state of the industry, I guess, and like what's happening and the trends we're seeing around capex projects and you know where people are moving um you similarly to us spend a lot of time chatting to lots of different types of people what's your view on the last 12 months in terms of 
ecom tech and you know mac headless composable like yeah where do you see the industry at the moment it's a it's a really interesting space actually right now and actually being at patchworks because we are that blue we are in the middle of all these projects not only um do we get to go to the conferences have the conversations you know we're in the middle of a lot of these projects people are contacting us you know quite often it would be i want to put in a new rp let's go and talk to um uh let's go and talk to patchworks about that at the minute, a lot of it is I need to connect to a marketplace or I need to add in this new piece of tech that's going to you know, hopefully grow my top line uh, or maybe cut out some costs on the bottom line with a, with a better 3PL or a 3PL that's more suited to what I need right now. So so we're getting a lot of those calls. I mean, the industry is in an interesting spot and it's, you know, we can't, we don't exist in a bubble outside of economic conditions, right? So I'm thinking back to the last e-commerce expo, um, really interesting, really busy. Uh, I went on the, on the first day, I think we didn't have a stand. Um, it was a sort of deliberate decision for us while we were getting the new tech ready that to get it out there. And, you know, there's a bit of a lag to go and get a stand, but we all turned up in our patchwork cities. I don't think I made it halfway across the floor <laughs> for having conversations with people who wanted to talk to us and want to talk about the industry and coming out of the show afterwards and going to one of the pubs and having conversations with people. I think what was interesting about that show was that if you were in the mid-market space, you had an amazing show. And you know, this is the feedback I've received afterwards as well. So if you were Shopify, Shopline, BitCommerce, um, you had a great show. There were people coming up to you that had real projects. If you were in the enterprise space, you had a terrible show. Uh, and I think that kind of reflects where the market is a little bit because you know the, the, some of the big guys, we just seen Whittle going to administration on Friday um, last week, you know, two winners have been recorded. Um, where a friend of mine is now the CTO, uh, sadly. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of, a, I've been ch- texting them over the weekend about some of the reasons my, why things may have happened there. And, um, you know, it's, it's been hard because you've got massive cost base to deal with. Uh, and you've got these mid-market guys, you know, the democratization of e-commerce that, that we used to talk about at big commerce is a real thing, right? So those mid-market guys can start cannibalizing market share off the big people. The big people have got a certain amount of inertia that they have to overcome with the tech that they've got. And I think that's really, really recognized in the space. So I think the this year, if you look at like the headless projects, the Mac projects, and there's been less of them because of the capital investment required and because of some um, some kind of horror stories that have been out there, you know, have been coming to light over the last maybe uh, year. I know John Williams at Ampion's causing the, the, the Mac clash <laughs> on, on that side of it. But also, um, why? Because actually, in the day, people are just out there um, wanting to sell what they sell online in other channels. And actually, probably the easier and quicker way of doing that is with some of these, you know, um, easy to use SaaS platforms that give you some of that out of the box. Crown Peak, enabling organizations to build meaningful digital experiences for everyone everywhere. Engage your customers with our content management system. Reach your entire audience with our digital accessibility and quality tools and grow your brand with our product discovery solution. Find out more at crownpeak.com. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, pretty similar to what we were kind of concluding. Um, that takes us nicely onto the low code piece. So I think even you know what you were talking about around the kind of enterprise projects, like maybe that kind of one to 20 million pound like change projects, like I agree, there's not as many of those at the moment. And the kind of mid-market, like smaller builds that don't require that same level of um, kind of senior uh, developer resources anymore. 
um, you know, that's a big shift in the market. And obviously Patchworks are uh, kind of embracing that at the moment, or at least from some of the stuff that you've put on LinkedIn, it looks like you're kind of embracing that. Um, can you talk us through like, you know, what you've changed so far to kind of adopt some of this, uh, some of these principles and how you see it changing in the long term as well? Yeah, so I'm happy to. It's, it's really... Um... It's, it's an interesting one, no code, low code. It means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? Uh, and no, genuinely, back in 1993, I worked at IBM. I am old. I turned 50 this year, by the way. So it's my first podcast with you guys as a 50-year-old. It's, it's, it's an interesting place to be. Um, and uh, they, we had these Wednesday innovation sessions at the Hersley Labs, and they would sort of show things that were happening. And they showed some coding tech around... Um, some of the new object-orientated languages that are coming out where you can literally draw lines between boxes, click on them, add some code in. It all looked amazing. Um, it actually, was what was meant to be Visual Age, which became Eclipse for, for the developers who are listening. Um, and obviously, it never really came to fruition because I think the tech was just too cutting edge. Um, but I remember watching it thinking, this is this is amazing. This this is going to change the world. And I also lost it as a developer walking out of my room thinking, oh, you know, will I have a job going forward? I think, you know, fast forward to where we are on the integration side, that's exactly what we have been aiming to build as Patchworks, something that is more about drawing flows uh, in a web page, effectively, you know, in our in our, in our um, uh, interface. Whereas the previous no-code, low-code Patchworks, before, you know, we got the new services out there, was still no-code, low-code. You could do things, you know, but it was a bit more, how can I put it, um, it was less visual. It was a little bit more point and click. You still had to have real technical knowledge. So... You probably have to be a business analyst had on knowledge of NetSuite, for instance. Whereas the idea of what we have right now is it's much, much easier for people, uh, front-end developers, say, to come in and do that integration back-end using this more graphical interface that, that the product team had. Um, so the, basically, if you look at where we were, January, uh, I met the team, joint. Um, we, we sat down, we looked at what was there already. They had this in alpha. They needed ring fencing, so I ring fenced that team to, to deliver that project, and we went live... Um, in June, we had a customer live in it immediately. Uh, one of uh, Shopline's customers that needed to integrate through to a WMS that uh, I don't think I've ever found that connector in any other um, uh, iPad system. So we, you know, well, they were able to use Connector Builder to connect to it and then use our process post to map it all up. And over the last few months, it's been about delivering more and more of those shapes. So we delivered the dedupe shape in last month. So deduplication from say FTP, if you're picking up a load of orders and you need to go through and cycle through, that would have been a script. And the idea is just to, again, move that into a low-code, no-code shape. So that, again, you know you have to write a, a minimum amount of scripts to use the platform. Where that's going is, is, again, making it even easier, again, to take those process flows that have been built, maybe template them. So if you're an agency delivering on Patchworks, and I'm really pleased to say that you know we're up to 54 agency partners now. We've got um, sort of 10 that I would call, you know, properly certified and, and delivering projects on the platform. Um, they can take those process flows and have their own library. So they can have a reference architecture they can take to all their customers. Again, the idea being that you go live more quickly, that you go live um, uh, on time at probably a lower budget than you would have done if you're writing on that code I talked about at the start of this. And that when it is all running, you know, there's that kind of wisdom of the crowds thing. All our K8 servers and Redis queues and all the stuff that we have reliably work. Because that's the other key thing, right? All that low-code, low-code stuff is just an admin interface. Once you've done it, you never want to have to go back to it. You just want the orders to crank on through and and, and then the data to flow back and forth. Um, Future-wise, looking at AI, obviously, everyone else is looking at AI. We've got one of my developers is 
um, looking at, uh, you know, some of that custom scripting. We've already been using it, but actually integrating in AI into the platform potentially to write those scripts for you, particularly one of the key features of our custom scripting is you can pretty much use any language. We support Ted at the minute, and by language, I mean technical language. Uh, so Python, you know, Node, uh, C Sharp, et cetera. But if you really wanted to use Rust or something, you could configure it into the platform because of the kind of unique way we built this, which is cool. Um, what's the classic thing you do? You look at it in, in one language and think, oh, actually, I want it in another language. Well, ChatGPT will rewrite that for you and it will work out just straight away without any debugging required. I've not been doing it myself. So more integration into that and then more integration into kind of like pre-built apps effectively. So you can say, you know, for, for one of those um, kind of reference uh, applications that I've talked about before, or maybe it is a, a kind of multi-storefront compatible NetSuite connector, there's an app for that and you can just install it. And then basically, you you know, you put in your details and you're done. Uh, the integration has been done. It's all about using those those tools to accelerate the, the key vision of, the, of, of our platform, really, which is to make integration as easy to do as creating an e-commerce store. I'd love to know what the... Um what the driver for this was because because I, I looked and i've seen some of your videos on youtube i like the one you showed of like using um uh the the open ai to to take product data out of a pim and then create a translated version push it back into a pim and that is just a, a relatively basic flow considering what it can do on the like the levels it can go down to but did this come from the you know you've got more recently SaaS background haven't been big commerce you've worked in that ecosystem where you've got loads of tools like Playdio. Yeah. Well, business users are used to that type of flow versus a technical user who can build out scripts. Is is that is that where the motivation came for Patchworks? Is well, actually, business users are using these tools and they're used to this visual, and therefore we should replicate that that visual state. Is that is that it, or has this been in the pipeline for for even longer, but just hasn't been brought to market? Um, it's it's a bit of both. So the you know this product started out in the minds of the product team who were over in Belfast, right? There's a lot of them come kind of me uh, exchange reaction. Um, so they've been used to using iPads platforms, and it frustrated them as developers how difficult they were finding using iPads ultimately. Um, and you know user experience, it's an interesting one because again I've always been a techie guy, but I work with a couple of fantastic UX leaders and creative leaders. Um, in my time in agency land, uh, and one of them, I remember putting up, you know, what's good about a car? Well, it's the fact that the controls are pretty much the same on every single car. Uh, you wouldn't create a car with a square, a square steering wheel, although Tesla have. <laughs> Nothing I've used uh, before. And again, you wouldn't create it with, um, you know, the accelerator on the left because you wouldn't understand how to use it. Right. So, so user experience is, is really key to everybody. And if you can make the user experience so easy to use that you can open up. Um, integrating other systems into business users, um, not just for the creation of it, but also for the fixing of it as well. You know, maybe the data change and it starts to break the order flow. Um, you know, if you can provide the tools to say what, what's happening, this order is not going through because this attribute is no longer there. And you can make the mapping easy enough that someone can go, oh, well, I know how to do this. I'll go look at the online help, click on the mapping, say, go through, you know, test it, make sure it's okay, then deploy it. Um, then again, it's in everybody's interest, bluntly, whether you're a developer or not. To be honest with you, um, it's uh, and the key thing, really, especially in this economic climate for businesses, is making sure that they can, you know, spend less money and go live more quickly, so they can re recognize the benefits of any launches. Elastic Path is on a mission to break through the barriers that prevent commerce leaders from delivering extraordinary shopping experiences.
Both business and tech teams are able to innovate on their own terms, fully embrace composability, and in turn, never compromise on what's possible. Learn more at www.elasticpath.com. Yeah, I find, I find it interesting because it takes what traditional iPaaS was, which is just exchanging data between systems fluently so that, that you have that efficiency and actually turn it into a tool that can do task management as well and transformation, which is really interesting. Um, mm. Let's talk about the, the the tech space then because, see, our patchwork, you, you get you get quite a, a good view of, of what everyone wants, not just the market, but individual um, businesses, different different verticals. You know what tools they're using. Let's take the ecom platform level because yeah, that's always that always changes. But there's a core set of platforms that always seem to be like the Gartner quadrants, the Forrester waves. We've seen a few changes recently. What are you seeing? Um, what's most active? Which are the most in demand like underlying vendor platforms where people are wanting integrations on? Have there been any fundamental changes? Are there any specific functional areas, um, whether that's search and merge personalization, that are really like you know going up in demand for you? Um, I'll answer the vendor platform first. Uh, and obviously, I came from big commerce to patchwork, uh, and I actually um, sponsored an event with with big commerce. It's kind of my sort of a leaving present <laughs> uh, earlier this year, so I got to meet all the guys back in Austin again. Uh, and I expressed my frustration of the number of customers on Shopify that I'd never heard of, <laughs> i.e. they never entered my deal pipeline, um, uh, yeah. probably because people were just buying Shopify because, you know, I think Shopify is almost becoming the um, IBM of e-commerce. There used to be a phrase back in the day that, you know, you don't get fired for buying IBM. Um, and Shopify is the safe choice. It's got the brand, it's got the product, and it's got, you know, mid- well, thousands, tens of thousands of referenceable uh customers that you can say oh well they're doing it so that's why i did that mr board member uh you know and, and that's why we're, we're we're doing what we're doing so so shopify has been um shopify nets with bluntly how patrick's will really um uh you know went forward and then shopify people box as well that's where we made our our historical um money um and actually that as a as a group is probably uh certainly shopify the vendor uh i'm still on number one uh, source of you know external leads, what everybody wants to integrate. Now, why is that? Um, it's good software, right? Uh, we've always said that. Um, the, the the guys at BigCommerce would say that when they were standing up talking about it. The same with the guys at Shopline when they talk about them as competitors, because it is very very good software. I mean, I've, I've run a friend's store on Shopify for a few years. To be honest, never mentioned that on the VC podcast. Uh, and so I know uh, how good and how easy to use it. Right? I mean, that's what a lot of it boils down to. It demos brilliantly well, and I guess where it's going with the investment that the team is Shopify putting into the product and moving it more into the enterprise, not surprisingly, you know that trickles down, and the mid market guys get the benefit of that as well. So, um, on the vendor side, we're seeing loads of Shopify. Shopline has started well. Um, you probably saw the in the style press releases that went out um, on the back of that. That was a very quick project. Uh, so, so the guys over at the Shopline and team won that earlier this year uh i know they've, they've won a uh quite a lot i think compared to the state of their um their brand bluntly you know it's brand new ultimately so i, I know how hard that is getting that into the market um but there's also some people kind of uh worrying about gdpr i mean it's all hosted in the eu, uh, in the EU i'm pleased to say from that side of it um and you know at the end of the day bluntly I'm not only friends with the people over there, but actually I answer, a, you know, with Patrick, we answer a, 
uh, a need they have for integrations that they don't have anywhere else. Not surprisingly, I'm working closely with them as we are with, with, with Shopify as well. And then, of course, big commerce as well. You know, they are still winning stuff, but they seem to be winning in the upper mid market, I think, um, from, from what I can see externally and from what we are getting in as, as, as leads, which is trying to deal with a multi storefront um, customer on Friday uh, over in the North America. Um, so uh, they are still winning. I think they're still winning on the strength of their APIs, actually, interestingly, and, and the and the uh, kind of their Mac Alliance membership. But again, that's kind of like the upper mid market where there's probably still movement there as opposed to the large, large enterprises. I'm not, not seeing much going on with that. Um, there's a bunch of new players and, of course, the commerce tools of this world. Commerce tools are still doing well. Uh, we've got a great customer in Trini London on, on commerce tools right now, um, which is looking good. Uh, and look, I'm going to talk about some publicly known information. Craig, it's Scales Brothers just on there. <laughs> so there's nothing else going on other than that, but I find that interesting. And You know, I, I met with Craig the other day. Scale looks like, very very good software it's composable but it's pre-composed and i think that's what all the composable vendors need to think about ultimately is you know if you're going to go down the purely composable routes one of the issues with it and i'm talking a lot in these answers guys so i hope it's okay um but one of the issues with it is you're purely in the hands of the people on the team that are building that project and therefore not saying it's just the agency there are the people in the in the retailers team as well right um and so that's kind of where we were back in 2003 to sort of 2010 even with hybris and atg although they they kind of came with a, a shop in a box it wasn't really until hybris started doing their accelerators it wasn't a real shop if you know i mean you had to start from scratch uh, and then it's up to the team that delivers it right and so some of them are brilliant trini uh, you know they are, are doing a great job um uh, i know there are you know some other really good commerce tools um and, and commerce there builds up there that are fantastic and put the business at the at the center of what's being done there are other ones out there where you have to raise a ticket, change of assets. Uh, and that is ridiculous in this day and age, right? And and so I think this pre-composed approach that Scale and Centra have gone with is 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 really interesting in that space. And I guess for me personally, and probably one of the reasons I left BC as well, though, it's a bit of a crowded space now, e-commerce um, and, and e-commerce platforms. And actually, if you're going to go down that SaaS route, you've got loads of choice. If you're not, you've still got... Um, you know, Magento in their non-SaaS, where there are still people doing great work. Actually, they don't want to go down the SaaS route, which makes it easy, an interesting conversation for, for me to have with them. When they, you know, they've got rid of SaaS everywhere else in their business. And by the way, the iPad is going to be SaaS. I'm sure you can imagine that doesn't go very far. <laughs> but um, it, it's how can I put it? I think you know, for me, as a conclusion to that long diatribe, um, you know, the, the, there's a big Ottawa giant, as Kelly called it the other day on LinkedIn does seem to be increasingly winning more and more bluntly um, because of their investment in the product. And that's what all the other vendors have got to think about is how they can differentiate. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's investment in product. And, and me and Paul talks about this because we've always had the battle. I I always have had a very soft spot for big commerce. I like the culture and the ecosystem in there. And Shopify yeah. felt like it was, it was more focused on itself. But what they've done with the product and the marketing around additions is so smart. They are they're going what they they're doing the opposite of what some of the legacy big vendors are doing, which is rely on rely on the name and rely on the belief that you are still the most important because you've got a big platform, but not think about the product evolution and yeah. what modern business and modern e-com teams want. Shopify's just gone right. What do the e-com guys not like about us? Remove that. Remove that. Remove that barrier. Um, 
I, yeah. and, and do you know the other interesting thing about that is that you know, big platforms where people are on likes of Salesforce before where no one would have ever considered a Shopify. Um, now you've got quite a few examples of migrations that even uh, that the, 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 I guess between SME and enterprise level where people go, well, actually, no, it's not a barrier anymore. Um, and I want to come yeah. back to that. You said about scale. So we, you know, we've been talking to Craig. We had a look at the platform. Quite impressed. Did a podcast with them that's due to come out shortly. Um, so depending on which order people listen to these episodes, that is. Um, uh, and I, I like that they're doing as well. What I'm interested in is because you you mentioned Centra, who we also uh, I've done work with and think very good. Um, you've got these additional new ones. You've got Shopline that's trying to, to expand in the UK as well. Um, are you seeing yet demand from your customers, your e-commerce customers for these connectors? Or is this at the moment those connectors are being built out as part of the vendor's go-to-market strategy ready for the pipeline? I'd love to know what what's driving the current connectors. Yeah, it's um, some of the connectors are because you know the vendor wants to do it bluntly, um, and we're building it. Uh, I mean, building connectors pretty easy, right? It takes probably um, I don't know between two and twelve hours to actually build the connector to a system, and then a bit of time to test it, right? So if there's a two-hour build, um, say it's a three PL with only five endpoints, a couple of those that we've got in there. Um, we can knock that together incredibly quickly as per the sort of connect to build a video part with commerce there actually, but uh, with one endpoint, um, which was like it was four and a half minutes. I managed to get that done in. Um, then you've got to test it though, right? So the testing always takes time because you've got to go through and make sure the pagination works and all the kind of boring nerdy stuff around each endpoint. So if you've then got um, scale where you've got hundreds of endpoints, that takes a little bit longer. Um, so, but we're investing the time in that. You know, some of our partners probably built their own connector chip theory built their own connector so um if you go into our marketplace you know that's kind of my vision is that other people can start building those connectors and put them in the marketplace so if they want to have an ipad as part of their um go to market strategy they don't need to ask us to do it they can just do it basically you know sign a partnership deal with us um if you look at scale and and some of those ones uh in the uk and not so much in terms of leads but actually in mainland europe yeah, we've got sort of Dutch partners and German partners that they want to use those um, use those connectors. Could you make sure that it includes this? Can we work on this bit together? So I would say some of, and that's not a massive surprise, right? Because Centra and Scale coming from Europe uh, or the Nordics, which is part of Europe, obviously, uh, you know, coming into uh, our platform, we, we do have a platform that supports uh, European uh, data, not surprisingly. So, um it's more that we're getting those leads from there than the UK at the moment, bluntly. Um, but I'm sure we will. Uh, having seen the, you know, the plans, like you said, the, the scale of putting in there, and Central particularly being so strong in fashion as well. Um, you know, there's a we came up against them a number of times at BC. We won a couple, we lost a couple, um, and when we did lose, and I was having a chat at the Applied Digital uh, Drinks in August, the search button. Um, when we did lose, it's because of that fashion strength, right? They really, really get fashion, so. Uh, and that for me is an interesting kind of part of this kind of multi-layered um, number of vendors in the e-commerce space. It's almost, you know, the, 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 if you look at one end, the composable end, you're sort of saying that I've got this curing machine. You can make it anything you like and you can. That's great. Um, and then you're starting to come back to almost we are fashion specialists, your fashion. Why don't we talk? And there are fashion specialists, uh, ERPs out there as a great example. So kind of makes sense that a stack if it's in purely fashion that would cover off you know your curing group that would cover off every single one of your uh 
properties, right? Because they're all fashion, really, um, with a, with maybe a little bit of beauty in there as well. Uh, and so you could see why it become attractive to to particular customers. Um, that makes sense. And I guess um, you talked about the, or we've talked about the platforms quite a lot in this episode so far. Um, you just mentioned Ship Theory, Clavio. It feels like a lot of people are, you know, investing in like BIs and CDPs and that kind of stuff at the moment. Um, what new third-party tools are you seeing demand for via customers at the moment? Uh, marketplaces are right up there, um, which is an interesting one uh, because we're not a, a channel management platform. We are a pure data platform, really, right? So you could use us to recreate channel engine or feed dynamics or, or channel or intelligent reach or whatever. Um, but you'll notice we announced a deal with, uh, with channel engine, uh, because actually, you know, we were a software platform really. So they can use us to connect to, to say on buy or TikTok marketplace if they, if they needed to, if they didn't have that in, most of them do. So TikTok marketplace seems to be generating a lot of buzz. Um, and some people are doing it really, really well. Uh, you know, Ben Murin and Sociable Guides um, have got a number of customers that they're doing that work for. I think the interesting thing is, is it's the old Reddit meme, isn't it? You know, one, have idea, two, do this, dot, 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 make money. I think a lot of people see TikTok, go, oh, we'll do that. But actually, you've got to build an audience, you've got to have the right products, you've got to create your TikToks in the right way. Again, that's almost about the democratization of advertising, really. Isn't it? And in the most popular TikToks, are the ones that have real people from a real company in a warehouse doing something. You know what I mean? But I'd say marketplaces are definitely one of the hot topics. Probably as we come into Black Friday, Cyber Monday as well, though, it's almost a, what can we add in quickly to try and drive top line on the back of that? Um, a lot of stuff around CDP uh, and knowing your customer. I mean, certainly with uh, you know iOS 17, uh, the various cookie restriction things that have been going on over the years, um, the ability to understand your customers and, and potential customers in a way that's still compliant with all legislation has led to a rise in the, in, in, in the CDPs that are out there. And so we're getting more and more people asking for that as well. Um, and then actually, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of pause this year. And I think that's probably come down to the fact that if you look at um, uh, COVID, we had to buy online, the shops were closed. But the consumer, I think, is a little bit more... Um, savvy when it comes to shopping now and they will they will happily they go into a store and the pods experience matches better what's online and maybe there is a way to you know scan a qr code or use an nfc tag on your phone so it knows it's you and therefore you get your personalized offers in store i mean we've been promising it for years and i think the pandemic now kind of coming out of it the other side of it um despite us all having cough and colds today uh <laughs> makes you think that actually you know the the, the pods uh, looking at pauses has been really important. So I've had a com- couple of conversations with a couple of very large enterprise customers this year that said that this year all we're really doing is concentrating on getting pause in ERP right. Um, because I want to make sure that I can do, you know, collect in store very, very well, for instance. It means I can drop my delivery costs because I sell more online. But then when I'm in store, I've got sophisticated pods. Again, I can upsell more when I'm in there. And I think that's that kind of whole customer view, which has led to the concentration on that sort of CDP and pods approach. And you mentioned marketplaces, um, and we all know that marketplace e-commerce has been growing, and there's been people building capabilities in their own platforms to sell from other brands. There's been people wanting to connect to existing marketplaces, and I noticed you've written your recent the recent release notes. I think it's from October. You announced a miracle connector. 
Have you got any insights you can share with people? Yeah. Is this specific to particular verticals you're seeing? Because I've definitely seen in the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, fashion brands specifically have spent a lot more time and effort trying to extend marketplace capability. Is it restricted to like fashion? Is it across the verticals you work with? You know, what, what insights have you got for us? I think it's fashion and gifting. Um, we're seeing a lot of that and a bit of beauty as well, again, um, because it allows, uh, if you, if you go with a miracle or a marketplace, uh, um, and you want to integrate that into your site, which is, you know, uh, you know, jewels, sadly, I think that they are still trading, aren't they? But they're trading with uh, somebody else. I can remember the, the, the big miracle, um, integration they did at friends of jewels led to the Christmas product. You know, I think it's five or six years ago being a Christmas tree. They don't sell Christmas tree, right? But it was their top selling product because they were able to get it by our marketplace. And so, because there's two sides to marketplaces, right? There's, there's, there's just selling on them um, as as the retailer. And then there's bolting some uplift revenue into your into your own uh, customer, either your own website or your own store, ultimately via a marketplace and getting other people's products on your, you know, curated, but on your, on your product list. So, um, yeah, definitely fashion, obviously, like you said, and then gifting in as well, because that Christmas tree example is another example of somebody being able to say, uh, I want, what, what can we offer products that are like or similar to or create a collection of stuff that we don't sell? Um, so it might be a fashion company that wants to be able to go into um, something that's not a fashion item, but is related to it, you know, like phone cases or something along those lines, uh, kind of complete the look. Um, so we've seen some some something around there as well. Um but that's it, really. I mean, you're right. I've not really seen a huge amount. I mean, I know in terms of if you're going on by or Timu uh, or, or on the kind of direct consumer marketplaces, there's loads of consumer electronics. But um, I've managed to make sure that I told my son not to buy anything from those <laughs> but for obvious reasons. Because um, I remember I did some dropshipping stuff back at the BC days. The speakers turned up. I wouldn't buy them again. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that James and I saw um, in your October release notes was an integration with Solsify. Um, have you so around the PIM side? Have you seen an uplift in demand? Um, yeah, not just with Solsify, but other vendors as well. Uh, yeah, we have definitely. Um, I, I think if you look at the Solsify being in our platform, it's very much on the on the PIM side of things. Um, we've also got Pimbly, Akinio, Plytex in there, um, and there are more PIM vendors coming to us. Um, and I think it's because, personally, I think it's because as as we've got more sophisticated over um, the last three or four years, um, the product numbers have gone up. Maybe that product numbers come up from a marketplace as well, coming back to the sort of previous question. Um, and people are now realizing that the product data has a direct impact on the conversion rate uh, and a direct impact on what you can actually sell online, in-store, et cetera. So um, we are seeing actually quite a few customers going live and then coming back Sometimes to us saying, you know, would you recommend a PIM? We always say, no, we wouldn't. But, you know, you must have an agency partner who can help you with that and maybe run a selection process. <clears throat> but we are seeing um, an increase in um, PIM projects, basically, uh, to get a real handle on that product data. Maybe take it out of the ERP, which is quite often where it is, but it's always a very small amount of product content in an ERP. Um, and I think if you're looking at the different channels that are out there, um, so maybe you want to take it in from the ERP, enrich it, um, make sure they worked on mobile and on web and on app maybe, or in print even. That's still a big, um, you know, uh, still a big channel to market by a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of retailers out there. And then maybe run that through one of our channel engine type partners. Uh, ultimately, you can take those descriptions. Now that we know they're good and working, 
and push them out onto the marketplaces in the right format. So we are, I, I don't know if that's all the reasons for seeing it, but we're definitely seeing more people looking for more PIM projects. And it's interesting from a, from a transactional perspective for a, for a uh, iPads, because, you know, we charge a pretty much a base fee per connector. I mean, it's changing slightly. We've got additions now. I'm not going to go to that. It's not a sales pitch. Um, but the interesting thing is, of course, then it's got a transaction override. That's how we get charged to run a profitable business. You need to make sure that the, you, you know, you're reflecting somehow the cost of it to other people. What is the transaction in the case of a, of, of a PIM, right? Because it's all about how many products there are, how many product updates there are, often out in the day. It can get a bit gnarly, bloody, uh, and explaining that sort of to people and understanding if it's the right way to do things. But um, it's been brilliant, though, seeing the PIM vendors getting excited about Patchworks and then things that you mentioned earlier, James, about the, you know, getting into a PIM and then using generative AI maybe to create longer descriptions or to translate things uh, by one of our translation partners. That gets super interesting, I think, because it the, the power of AI is that it take, gives a mid-market retailer the capabilities of a large retailer in terms of things like content translation. Um, and then it allows you, again, to punch well above your weight and win market share based on your brand or product. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because one of the the valid criticisms I've seen over of the PIM vendor space is sometimes the speed to innovation is not as quick as it is in other areas. Like if you watch the speed to innovation, like the yeah. search merge personalization, it feels quicker to get features released. But the ability to then connect and to achieve those additional elements you want and to automate it um, to potentially take away that headache of, well, when can I do this in this tool? Yeah, interesting. Um, that's been really interesting. Thanks for taking the time to come. As always, I love these discussions because we've all got slightly different perspectives based on you know the projects we work work on and the, the customers we work with. And I think it's good for people um, to hear and learn what what other people's takes are on the market. So thanks for taking the time to come on and share share what the patch works inside of you is, Jim. No, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. I mean, these are my views, not the views of Patchworks. I probably should point that out. <laughs> Um, but uh, again, I think what's what's really interesting, what's important for us all, is to have that choice in the marketplace. Um, you know, it's no good for anybody if there's one dominant or you know supremely dominant player. The ability to choose between you know a number of different composable vendors, a number of different out of the box SaaS vendors, and these kind of new blended composed pre composed uh, vendors, I think is uh, on the, on the platform side particularly really interesting. And again, you know. Um, I'll say we're not the only iPass out there. I just believe that we are the best. There's the there's the plug. <laughs> You're doing so well until the end of this podcast. Always the way. Yeah, that. Uh, thanks very much for coming. I always enjoy chatting to you. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Anything you agree with, disagree with, let us know. Fire in the comments. And uh, Jim's always up for for being challenged. Get get hold of him on LinkedIn. Let him know what you think of the market. Um, and keep your ears open for the next episode. We drop one every week. And don't forget before you go to give us that rating if you haven't already. Thanks, everybody. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.